Please remain standing for our scripture reading this morning. I'll be reading from the gospel according to Luke, the second chapter, verses 41 to 52. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus replied, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? I must be about my father's business. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. We've all been there. We all can identify with this story on either the giving or the receiving end. We've all left behind a child or been left behind ourselves. I remember the first time that this happened to me. I was six years old. Our family was in Florida for a family wedding. And in the hustle and bustle of all the things, parents running to and from the car at different times, they both assumed that the other had gathered up the kids but only my older brother was in the car. So when they got in the car to drive off, my younger brother and I stood in the front yard and I watched them drive away. (laughs) And like Jesus, after three days, they returned for us. (laughs) They soon realized that my brother and I were not in the car and came back a little worried and a little panicked to find my younger brother and I inside watching cartoons and doing just fine. I think I was halfway to 12, but I'd kind of beaten Jesus there. But there's this reality where in the busyness of life, we can always leave important things behind. I thought in my sermon preparation in these past few weeks, what this means right after Christmas, when we're studying a story of a big celebration And the family returns home and they leave Jesus back at church. But I think that might be more of a relevant sermon for the folks who were here last week and aren't here this morning. But when we look at the scriptures, we learn a lot of what's going on by looking at where they were, what they were doing. It says the family would go to the Passover festival every year. Now, the Passover festival is like the Super Bowl of the Jewish culture. It's the big festival of the year. You could compare it to their Christmas or their Easter. It's where they gain their identity. Now, as you'll remember, it's where they would post the it celebrates the time where they would put the blood of the lamb over their doorposts and the spirit of the angel of death would pass over and not take their children. It, it celebrates how 
they were led and delivered out of Egypt, how the Lord was with them through the desert, how he provided for them in so many different ways. In many ways, it was for the people of Israel, their identity. They would remember together as a people, as a family, as a nation, as God's chosen people, who they were. So all who had means and time would go to Jerusalem. They would go up to Jerusalem, it always says, because Jerusalem was higher in elevation. And as you'll remember, the temple was in the highest part. And so long, far off, you'd be able to see the temple in the distance. And they'd likely be reciting the Psalms of Ascents, which are most of the latter part of the book of Psalms we know today. It would be a time of great anticipation, a time of being with family, a time of experiencing their identity. When we start to look at what's actually going on in the story, we might learn more of why Mary and Joseph leave Jesus behind. You see, when travel that day would mostly be by what we would think of as traveling caravan, almost like moving an entire village, which you know can't be done quickly, especially if you have young children. So in those days, you'd likely be traveling by foot, and you'd be with your immediate family and your extended family and then probably your friends and relatives from your hometown, and you'd probably all travel together. And so the men would surround the outside to kind of keep in the herd, And the women would be in the middle, tending to the young children, caring for them, likely carrying them with them. See, Jesus is 12 years old in our passage this morning, which means to us he's an adolescent. But for Jewish culture, this was a significant age. It's the age of maturity. It's what we would think of in today's terms of being bar mitzvahed. So this was the time when a child became a man, when a child moved to maturity. The child would no longer be in the middle of the circle tended to by his mother, but would be one of the mature, one of the men on the outside. So it likely makes sense that he would be on the outside of the circle and no one would be looking in on him. So this could be one of the first significant trips where Jesus is at the age of maturity. He's a man and he's making his own decisions. So maybe it makes a little more sense that they left him behind. But I thought of some of the irony of leaving Jesus behind after the celebration or Jesus being lost. The idea of the Son of God being lost. I don't know if that's even possible. But in thinking about the scripture this morning, I don't think the biggest problem here is that Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. I think the biggest problem here is that Mary and Joseph don't even know who Jesus is. See, we see this in how Mary responds to Jesus. Son, why have you treated us like this? Now, when you're thinking about what's gone on, they've, they've been a day's travel away and they finally realize the child is gone. So if, if, you, if you assume generously they double time it back to Jerusalem, leaving the big group behind, that's a day and a half without the child. And then depending on how you read the scripture... It's either a total of three days or three more days searching for the child. So it could be as much as five days without their son, their oldest son, without the son of God. I mean, you can feel the stress kind of mounting as you think of this. I mean, we get stressful just when we're separated from our child in a 
grocery store and it's 15 minutes without them. And minute after minute, we're thinking of all the horrible things that could happen. And our imaginations run wild and we're thinking of things we don't even want to imagine. Think of this. It's been days. They're traveling. They're far away. They can't get back. They can't. They can't call ahead. There's no child protective services. They can't flash pictures of Jesus. This is what my son looks like. Have you seen him? Have you seen my boy? They have to travel back. I like to think that maybe that day with the big group, it was Joseph's day to do the head count. Can you imagine that? Joseph counts up all the kids. Yeah, I've got everybody. Maybe he counts Jesus' brother twice. Maybe there's that cousin that looks a lot like Jesus. And then when Mary can't find Jesus, she comes to Joseph, and it's Joseph's fault. Can you imagine that long trip back to Jerusalem with your wife, blaming you for losing your oldest son, God's only son? Poor Joseph. So they arrive in the capital city, and it's just been Passover. They're from out of town. They might not know a lot of people. The town's probably bursting. It's just been chaos. They're searching for him. They don't know where to look. Why have you treated us like this, she says. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. I found it ironic that Mary, the mother of Jesus who bore the Prince of Peace in her very womb, was so anxious. I think this kind of gives mothers a chance to be off the hook and not feel so bad about worrying for their children. But we see a very interesting response from Jesus. A response that I think would have gotten me in a lot of trouble. When your parents show up after days of searching for you in a capital city, it says, why are you searching for me? Seems like an odd question. But when we begin to sit with the scripture, we begin to understand what Jesus is saying. See, This happens all throughout the book of Luke, where Jesus is talking to people not based on what is going on in the world, not based on the things that we see or the things that we think about. But Jesus is talking about the kingdom. He's talking about his heavenly father. As one of my friends said this week in response to the passage, what if Joseph showed up mad at Jesus and Jesus said, you're not my real dad. But there's an element of reality in what in that in that joke, in what my friend's saying. You see, in Luke's gospel, and this is the beginning of this, Jesus is always talking about himself as the son of God. He's talking to people based on the kingdom. He keeps on telling these strange parables about the kingdom of God or making strange claims like here, my father's house that don't make any sense to any people including in this passage, his own parents. So if you've ever had the time where you think no one understands you, or even your own family doesn't recognize the wonderful thing that God has created you to be, don't worry, you're in good company. Jesus struggles with this reality himself. Why were you searching for me? You should have known I'd be in my father's house. says they did not understand what he was saying to them. And most people won't until after the resurrection. And some people, as we know, 
in our lives today never really get it. A few weeks ago, I was visiting the Seekers class, and I sat with Carol Bray, who gave me kind of a tour of the class and insight into what was going on. And on a topic unrelated to this passage, she said, I would never listen to someone give parenting advice who hasn't raised a child. So in preparation for scripture this morning, I called many young moms in our congregation to get feedback so I could tell you how to parent. (laughs) But in the interest of not offending Carol Bray, I'd claim that this is actually best to do for community in general and doesn't just apply to parents and children. Now, sure, the things I'm going to suggest are very valuable for parents with their kids, but it, uh, as a wise African proverb says, it takes an entire village to raise a child. And this morning I want to look at a few of the things we can learn from this passage and how to identify, like Mary and Joseph so desperately needed with Jesus, who God says people are instead of just how the world says we are. Now, first of all, I want to look at what precedes our passage, what I would label as prophetic words, utterances from heaven about the realities of how God sees us or how God sees things. In our case in point this morning with Jesus, Mary and Joseph had the benefit of Prophetic words from angelic visitation. Now, don't worry, this is not how this is always going to be. But if an angel shows up at the foot of your bed in the middle of the night, you might want to listen to what he says. But so maybe that's a little bit of why Jesus is saying, why were you searching for me? Shouldn't you have known? I mean, the angels came to Mary and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will bear God's own son. He will be restored to the throne of David and his descendants will never end. Doesn't it make sense in light of that in a time where the presence of God dwelt in the temple in Jerusalem, that God's own son would go there to be with his father? Well, Jesus' question to Mary starts to make a little more sense in light of that. And look at what he's doing in the situation what I would call what he's gifted for. He's 12 years old and he's sitting in the temple courts dialoguing with the teachers, which is very normal in that day. Yeah, sure. It's normal to talk about the Torah. It's very unusual, though, that a 12-year-old is teaching the teachers. So we can look at prophetic words. We can look at the gifts of the people around us. I think another way to identify what God says about people or how he's created them is what they're interested in, the things they're passionate about, what they spend their time doing. As one of my pastors says, you come alive when you do these things. He uses my passions to help me identify what God has created me to do. As one of my mentors love to say, what do you love to do? Matt, God is not going to call you to things that make you miserable. And I think we have a little bit of that idea, like serving God is a chore. But Jesus is free in Jerusalem to go where he wants. And where does he go? He chooses the temple under his own volition. So where do your kids go if they're loose in the city? 
What do they want to do when they have free time? What are the things that they do even when they're not asked to do? And finally, we can always learn from Jesus in a situation. So look at how he's interacting with people in the temple courts. Jesus, the very Son of God, God himself, dwelling amongst us, comes to the temple courts to talk about Torah. Like, Do you see the irony here? Scripture says that Jesus is the Word made flesh. They're talking about Scripture. He is the Word. And what does he do? He doesn't come and hold a lecture. He starts by listening and asking them questions. Now, this is a great sign of humility, but also a great example to us. Do we take the time with the people around us to ask, to listen, to just hear what they're talking about? I have a little cousin. We see him every Thanksgiving, and he is obsessed with Scooby-Doo. I don't know what it is, but he watches the movies, he plays the video games, he sings, sings the theme song. And if you spend 10 minutes with that kid, you know what he loves is Scooby-Doo. If we just take the time to listen to the things that the people around us talk about, we can find out very quickly where their hearts are, what they love, what they're passionate about. And if we add some simple questions to that process, we can learn a ton about a person. I find that people are always very interested to find those who will take the time not only to listen, but also to ask about them. So these four things, prophetic words, the gifts people have, the heart and passions they have, and then taking the time to listen and ask questions. I don't want a Monday morning quarterback on Mary and Joseph because we know God has chosen them. But let's imagine for a little bit what would have been a better response when Mary shows up and has found Jesus in the temple. Maybe start with a question. Hey, Jesus, I'm so glad you're safe. Love you, love you. What's going on here? If she starts with a question, she might have taken the time to find out that he's been teaching the teachers of the law. Maybe the teachers of the law tell the mother Mary how brilliant her child is. What parent doesn't want to hear that? She discovers more things about what's going on. What a great opportunity to encourage her child. I read a book recently that talked about the ratio of encouragement to critical comments. It said that we over-process critical comments in our lives. So just to break even, we need a ratio of three encouraging comments to one critical comment. Wouldn't it have been great if Mary showed up and praised Jesus for the things he was doing and then maybe later talked to him about staying with the group? I don't want to be too hard on Mary and Joseph, but I think they show the reality of the normalcy of the story of God in all this. We lose kids. We leave things behind. We've been left. All these kinds of things. But just to put a positive note in closing on Mary and Joseph, the next time we see Mary in the Gospels, Jesus is 30, which is the age of public life. He's coming out, ready to come out for his ministry. Uh, You guys have been to a wedding. You've heard it a thousand times. It's uh, the wedding feast, the celebration, Canaan and Galilee. And what's going on? Jesus is performing his first miracle. We've heard it 
every time we go to a wedding. But I thought about that this week. I think we missed something in that story. See, in that story, Mary is saying, Jesus, you know, Jesus, we need some more wine. We're out of wine. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of like you're at bat. And Jesus says, no, mom, not now, or leave me alone, or I forget. It kind of fits with verse 49, like, why are you searching for me? Leave me alone. But Mary goes and says to the servants, do whatever he says. You see, she's learned in these many years who Jesus is, who God says he is. And now she's not questioning him, why are you doing these things? She's actually helping prepare the way for him. She's out there preparing the environment for what's going to happen. And we've heard this so many times. We think, yeah, that's great. That's kind of her job. But no, this is his first miracle. She doesn't even know what he's capable of. But we see from her response in the marriage at the feast that she does know. She's learned. And I want to offer you, it's, we see in the scripture this morning, the response at the end from, from Mary. It says, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And I want to invite you all to take the time to, to think over these things, to use these four ways, to take Time to ponder the things in your heart, who the people around you are. Is it our kids? Yeah, it's a very important role to raise up our kids. But it's not just our kids. It's our peers. It's our spouse. It's our employees. It's our bosses. I think one of the greatest roles that we can play in loving one another and being community for those around us is helping them to identify who God calls them to be and encourage them and allow them to step into that. And like Mary does at the wedding, create an environment that prepares a way for things that God has put in those around us that we've never even seen before. See, we have the benefit of community, of believing things in other people that they can't even know. There's a line that says, my faith for my brother is greater than my faith for myself. See, I need y'all to call up things in me that I can't see, and y'all need the same thing from me. And taking the time to do that, using the tools that God has given us, the insight into people's lives, the prayer, the gifts they have, the things they're passionate about, taking the time just to listen and ask. This can set people free to be transformed. And as a community, I think we will start to see the reality of what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, where we'll all knit together, living out the lives that God has created us to live. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life that you call us to live, for the identity that you give us, for the ways that you see us, not as the world sees. Lord, give us eyes to see this in those around us. Give us hearts to see beyond the earthly roles. Lord, give us the patience and the desire and the insight and the wisdom to call these things up in others, to believe in them and prepare the way for them. Lord, we bless you for your son. We bless you for your faithfulness to, like Mary and Joseph, to entrust us with the role of your ministry of calling up life in other people. Lord, thank you for this holiday season to remember all these things and most of all, your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.